Today, uh, we are continuing a four-week teaching series called Masters of the Margin, where we are becoming masters of the margin of our life. And last week, we kicked off with talking about uh, creating margin by seeking God's kingdom first. And we're going to continue some of that this morning as we talk about what it looks like to find financial margin, to create financial margin in your life. Uh, anybody, like, ever waste money before? Have you ever wasted money? The rest of you, nope, never. Me neither, never wasted it once. Uh, we waste money all the time, don't we? On the most frivolous things. It's funny, we, you may not realize this, but we live in the wealthiest society in human history. Uh, we are wealthier than if we drove in a car here, we're probably wealthier than 99% of the world. It's pretty incredible to think about uh, how easily we make choices compared to other parts of the world. And sometimes, I don't know about you, it's like at lunchtime, I'm like, oh, I didn't bring my lunch. I'm kind of hungry. I really need this, you know, and I got, got an important job. Got to power through the day, so I'll just go out and spend money on lunch. And then you look at how that added up over the last month, and you're like, wow, where did all that money go? Have you ever bought something that you later regretted, and you're like, oh, we didn't really think about this ahead of time? We had, when we first moved here from California, for whatever reason, my wife, Lisa, she wanted a dog, like, really bad. And so we actually bought a dog. It was the cutest dog in the whole world. It was an amazing dog, except we also had a toddler, and the toddler and the dog did not get along so well. And we ended up having to give that to a family, and it just broke our heart. But I look back, and it's like, man, there was a whole lot of money down the drain. <laughs> you ever made purchases or decisions or choices like that real quick? Then I've also had times where I prioritized certain things in my life and looked to, to save. When we were in California, I come from a small town in Indiana, but I lived in Southern California for seven years and worked at a large church out there. That's where I met my wife. She's from the suburbs of L.A. And while we were out there, um, we actually began to save for a house. Because I don't know if you know this, housing is expensive in California. And after about a year and a half of saving, uh, God called us to move to Indiana and start a church. And the funds we thought we were setting aside for a house gave us the freedom to follow what God had called us to in that season. And so I just want to tell you that what we're discussing, it really matters today. And I'm going to talk about some things in church that we don't like to talk about, like money. I hate when people talk about money in church. I'm just going to be honest with you. When I was 19, I became a Christian. I was a fraternity guy. I showed up to church in April, and that church was talking about money. And then the next church I went to the next day or the next weekend, that church was talking about money. And then the next church I went to the next week, I'm not making this up, three weekends in a row, it was talking about money. And then I realized it was April and it was tax return time and they were doing something. <laughs> and so if you naturally don't trust churches, I get it. I get it, okay? So, um, but we are going to talk about that today. Jesus actually talked about money more than he talked about faith and all kinds of other things throughout the New Testament. He talked a lot about it. And we're going to look at uh, some of that today. And we're going to look at what it looks like to be fiscally responsible and to put God first in that area of your life. And I encourage you, if you want to hold up, you got this incredible card this morning. This is a limited edition, by the way. <laughs> Collector's item. Uh, you remember Skeletor from He-Man. Well, this is Fist Skeletor. The... Thank you. Thank you. The enemy of fiscal responsibility. Okay, the team, I thought that was pretty creative. The team came up with that. And on the back, it has a memory verse. And again, if the kids memorize the four weeks, they get a prize at the end of the four weeks. But uh, it's going to be an interesting one this morning. It's going to be a fun one. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? 
All right, here we go. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Verse 19. Oh, I forgot an important announcement. So as you turn to Matthew 6, 19, we have a prayer meeting as a part of 22 days of prayer and fasting. Prayer meeting is uh, tomorrow and the next Monday. Our prayer team's leading it. So anybody that would love to come into this space and pray 645 to 830 the next two Monday nights. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he, last weekend, we looked at the verses after this. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Just seek my kingdom first. We thought, well, that sounded nice. I get it. Until you look at the verses that preceded it. Because look what he says in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You've probably heard pastors say this before. If you've been in a church and they've talked about this passage, you never see the U-Haul behind the hearse, right? Like there's no point to it. You're not taking it with you when you die. You are just storing up an abundance of possessions that you will never use for eternity. And he says, instead, to store up our treasures in heaven, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then it gets interesting. We're going to break this down later. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The big idea this morning, we're going to be aware of the enemy, in this case, Fiscalator, as you put God's first in your finances. Will you pray with me? God, oh, man, just this is so opposite of what our culture looks like that all these people crammed into the space this morning to study your word about money, about a financial responsibility. We're even going to bring up tithing here in a moment. God, we're going to talk about to beware of the enemy's schemes, what it's like to eliminate debt. And we're going to hear from a, a couple of individuals, just their experience living this stuff out. So I just pray that you would speak to us. And may you get rid of my words and replace it with what you desire to speak to us through Scripture, through your Spirit, God. May you speak to our souls. We give you this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Do we have any runners in the room? You like to run. Two people, three, four, okay. Come on now, marathon runners, anybody? We had anybody here that has qualified for the Boston Marathon before? Anybody? Brooke Daniel at the last service had, and nobody else. She's better than this service. Just wanted to clarify that before I start. Um, maybe you're just, you're more humble, so you're a better person. But uh, my friend Mark Lee is a pastor in California, and I didn't ask his permission to share this or show his pictures, so that's a great part about friendship. This is Mark. He is a pastor in Southern California. For 10 years, he has tried to make the Boston Marathon. Been running marathons for a decade. And he thought he was getting too old. And a couple of years ago, he actually uh, was hit by a car while running. It was a very devastating, horrible injury. And after healing up, and he finally decided he was going to start training again. And after 10 years, he just made the Boston Marathon. He made the time. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I thought, man, because he's older than me, I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't even complete a marathon, let alone do something like that. And I just thought, man, that's a cool thing. And he talked about what was different this time. 
He said that he joined a running club of people who had all made the Boston Marathon before. And when he surrounded himself with like-minded people who truly believed that they could make the, the marathon if they did the things that it would take to do it, and that belief that they could actually do this transformed the way that Mark thought about things, about the way he thought about his running and his training, and it pushed him, and he began to live and train differently. And he was making the point that he believes, that's why Jesus said that we should first believe that whosoever believes in him shall have eternal life. John 3, 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. He said the reason is because when you believe something and you truly trust it, it begins to transform the way that you live. And so the question I want to ask you, it's really simple this morning. I'm just going to kind of teach what the Bible says about some of this stuff. It's my interpretation. If you don't like some of it, it's okay. Go study the verses on your own. But I just want to encourage you as we study this together just to let it sink in and say, do I really believe this stuff? Do I really believe that Jesus lived 33 years on this planet, three years of active ministry, taught us how to live as a human, was crucified, un, un, uh, unjustified, and was dead and risen on the third day, overcoming death itself so that anybody who repents of their way of life and gives their life over to him could receive forgiveness because of his atoning sacrifice and could live eternally with him in heaven one day. Do we really believe that? Do you really believe that? And if we believe that, then that he eventually would raise from the grave and present himself to the early disciples, and then he will ascend to the right hand of the Father, and then the Holy Spirit will be given on the day of Pentecost to those Christians, and that the Spirit of God was no longer in a building, the temple. It was now in a, the physical body of a human being, that God lives in us and through us. And that he gives us the Holy Spirit, our advocates, so that we could go make an impact with our lives. Do we believe that? Here's what I want to share with you on this particular subject is, and I believe Craig Rochelle said this. I couldn't confirm that. I don't know who said this. Maybe I said, I hope I said this, but I don't think I said this. If you know who said this, let me know. What you do with what you have reveals what you believe about God. Let me say that again. What you do with what you have reveals what you believe about God. If we really believe those things that God wants to use us, think of how the disciples left everything, not just some things. They left everything to further the work of the gospel. What we're talking today about his finances is a lot more than that. We're talking about creating financial margins so that we could actually be used to make an impact. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to move really fast through this next part, like faster than I even did at the last service, how to create financial margin in your life. The first point is this, put God first in your finances by tithing. Whew. Even just saying that out loud made me uncomfortable. How about you? <laughs> Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your, where your treasure is will demonstrate where your heart is, what you believe about God. And so the idea of tithing is putting God first in the area of your finances. And when I first became a Christian, I didn't even know what that meant. So if you're like, dude, I heard this a hundred times, bear with me. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. What is tithing? A lot of times we think of that as giving. It is not giving. Uh, the word tithing in the Old Testament to tithe is ma'aser. 
And maaser means uh, 10%. It, it literally means 10%. That's the meaning of the word. So you can't say that I tithe if that isn't 10%. The, the, you understand what I'm saying? It's like saying I give 10%, but I give 5%. That's actually called a lie. So just so we're all tracking. <laughs> Next, uh, tithing is returning. It's not actually giving. It's returning the first 10% of our income to God's church. It's returning the first 10% of our income to God's church. And uh, Leviticus 27.30, I tithe everything from the land, whether grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord, is holy, which means set apart to the Lord. That that tithe is of everything to the Lord. Uh, The questions that naturally come up, and this part I'm going to move a little quicker at this service, but isn't tithing an Old Testament uh, idea and not needed under the New Covenant? They don't use the word tithe in the New Testament. Maaser is a Hebrew word found in the Old Testament, and that's definitely true. There's a, a few issues, though. Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He didn't come to get rid of it. He came to fulfill it, number one. Number two, but what about the widow's might, right? Like she gave just a little bit, and that was, she was a cheerful giver, so that was good, right? God is after heart issues. See, the point of it wasn't that she gave the two coins. Look at uh, Luke 21, verse 4. I'm only going to look at verse 4. It says, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The part was that she gave all. That's kind of hard. It's a big challenge, isn't it, to think about it that way? But actually, that's a little bit more of the concept of the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't lower the bar. It actually raises the bar of this area of our life. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they had everything in common. They sold their possessions, and the early disciples actually were determining how to meet the needs of the community, and then the deacons were helping in that process. Kind of crazy to think about it, and it failed, right? Like, well, we're not communists. I get it. But I just encourage you, like the New Testament has a really strong word about this. In fact, I'm not going to read the story this time, but in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they sell their property, and they don't give the whole resources to those in need in the church. And uh, they, they lie, and the big part is that they lie, absolutely. But they lied about this financial thing, and that was what God actually, they end up dying. The, God takes their life in that moment. So to say that God lowers the bar is kind of contrary to the New Testament. If anything, he would raise the bar over the 10% concept. Wow! (laughs) Aren't you glad that part's over? And when I first learned that as a Christian, man, that was was hard for me. And I just want to share this. Over the last uh, years of my life, I've been following the Lord since I was 19 years old. And over the last decade in particular... I've begun to see this area of my life has been one of the most transformative things in the area of trust, in the area of trusting the Lord. And it did so much to me spiritually. But I know it's awkward to talk about these things because I'm a pastor and I get a salary from the church and I don't want to do it. That's why it's always awkward for me. But I invited a couple of people in our church that are just like spiritual warriors and I want to learn how to be a dad and a and my wife wants to learn how to be a mom like these two. So will you welcome these two up here? And I'm going to ask them a couple of questions. James Cheatham and Amvita Elder. And I'm not giving you much time, but I, we were talking about this earlier, and they killed it last service. James, you're a dad of four kids. 
Your wife is a full-time nurse and works part-time at the church. How in the world do you actually live this principle out in your life? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, anybody, all of us know that uh, to have four kids today, today's standards, that's a, that's a pretty big family, right? <laughs> so it, it isn't easy, and it, it wasn't easy, especially um, in the past. And just to be completely honest, we were not um, always faithful in giving our tithe. It was like a hit and a miss thing. And, it, you know, for us, it was a matter of, okay, well, can we afford it? Can we afford to give the tithe this week? Mm, maybe not. But really, it wasn't an issue of could we afford it. It was an issue of the heart. Do we really trust God with this? And I think for me, it was, you know, it was my money, right? It was um, money that I worked hard for. And so I wanted to use that money for comfort. I wanted to use that money for whatever, you know, I needed or whatever I wanted. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says that it is God who gives us power to get wealth. In other words, it all belongs to God. 100% of that is God's. And so what does that make me? That makes me a steward of God's money. So now it's not about doing what I want with the money. It's about doing what's right with God's money. And so I had to repent from that and take steps of trusting God for whatever it is. And I tell you what, since we have been doing that, God has indeed opened up the windows of heaven over our lives. He has blessed us abundantly, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He has blessed our children, our ministry, our finances, everything like that. And this isn't a prosperity gospel. It is a promise in the word of God. So we just learned, you know, we had to learn to trust him. And I'll tell you what, he has not let us down. Okay, so, I, yeah, I know. And anytime I hear James ch talk, I'm like, how can I be a dad and leader like that? Like, and, but I, let's be honest, though, it's, it, sometimes things happen. And so I wanted Mvita to share her story because you've been through a lot of stuff. I mean, more than most of us in the last few years. Can you just kind of share how you've been able to live that out with what you've gone through? Yeah, so um, last, about three years ago, I was pregnant with my third son when our second son got diagnosed with leukemia. And we were told that, hey, this treatment's going to be three years, and you're going to have to take eight months off to take care of him because it's so intense. And we said, okay, we have no financial plan to make this happen, so we went to God in prayer. And we prayed, you know what, God, we have been, in our marriage, tithing was a non-negotiable from the very beginning. So we had been faithful to him, giving him the 10%. And you know what, he, we always had enough to pay everything that we needed to pay. And he had been faithful. So we went with him, to him, with that confidence that he was going to come through this time too. We didn't know how, but we knew he was going to provide. Mm -hmm. So we prayed, and we had all these people give us these gift cards and all this stuff, and then when um, we had a meal train set up, and I was trying to put some food in the fridge that day, and literally my fridge was so full, I couldn't fit anything in there, and I heard God say, I'm opening the floodgates. I don't know about you, if God says he's opening the floodgates to you, you're like, <laughs> I'm excited. I was pretty excited. Obviously, I was more excited than you guys would be, but um, <laughs> I was very excited, and you know, as months went by, we had people give us, you know, money that we didn't expect or ask for, and we were so thankful for that. But, um, and as months went by, I started just hearing these voices again, like, hey, you know, that was a lot that people gave. That was so awesome. But it was probably good to cover like a month or two what's going to happen in the next 
months to come, you know? So I started having this fear, this anxiety, this doubt, and then I recognized it. I was like, hey, you know, no, God has not given me a spirit of fear. He is not, I know what his word says. He says he's going to provide, if, you know, he has, if I give him the 10th, he's going to provide for me. So I trusted that, and I'm just like, my God is faithful. My God is more than able to provide. He still multiplies. So I'm just going to trust that and just dismiss those thoughts right away. So months went by, and Josh, our finances had gone down. Our bills had more than doubled. And let me tell you what, that money never went out. And it was so awesome to experience that. It was like the oil in the Old Testament that never runs dry. You know, you guys, our God is still a God of miracles. And when we trust him, we see him move in our lives like we would never think possible. Months went by. Um, I had somebody reach out to me, and they said, hey, I want to nominate your family for this ride. And it was really significant at that time, because at that time, I was awaiting some biopsy results, which ended up came up for positive for cancer. And then God was just like, hey, I'm going before you. I'm providing for you. And I could just take over the whole sermon if you let me, no. and, um, <laughs> and tell you so many stories of his faithfulness, guys. This is our God. He can be trusted with just the 10%, because that will just be the beginning of really trusting him with all our heart, mind, and soul. Yeah. I can imagine, yes. <laughs> we thank them, yeah. Kid gets leukemia, you're battling cancer, you're, you're doing all that. And I think sometimes that's where God builds our faith the most. And I know some of them, I mean, you know our story of losing a child and all that. Sometimes those moments are the, the, the life-changing moments when we learn that God is actually there. and gonna, What we do with what we have reveals what we believe about God. See, I, I want to do something this morning that's a little different because, um, first of all, I want to tell you this. We're after the spiritual aspect of this. So if you want to give this somewhere else other than the Mercy Road, we're cool with that. We just want you to actually live this out and practice that. For those that want to practice that at Mercy Road, we're doing something. We do this about once every year or so uh, where we do the 90-day tithe challenge. And you should have gotten a little card that, uh, on the way in. If you hold that up or, or hold it up for a second, it, it just if you fill that out, there's going to be baskets coming by. If you're like, I want to try this. I want to try to put God first in this way. When the basket comes by, drop it in there. And at the end of the 90 days, um, hopefully you've got to see God's faithfulness through that process. And if you don't know how to even set that up, you can set it up online at mercyroad.cc or you could set it up through, uh, we have a text to give way to do it. And there's a number of things. The pods, by the way, eventually are going to be gone. So if you give in that way, I'd encourage you to consider uh, other avenues in the future. You can even automate checks that way. But we're, we're concerned about the spiritual aspect of this. And so if you want to give it away somewhere else, great. But at the end of that 90 days, if you've, if you've made that commitment, and at the end of it, you're like, you know, that didn't go the way I thought. God didn't show up. Uh, you're a liar. You're a bad Bible teacher. I don't like you anymore. I'm never coming here again. We will give, at the end of that 90 days, the, the resources that you gave back to you, all of it. And we just want you to try this spiritually. And uh, now, if you never filled out one of those cards, and it wasn't a part of that 90-day process, and you get angry because we preached something like, you're like, I want the next uh, 10 years of giving that I haven't even given yet back. Can you give that to me? It's probably not going to happen. So... But this is a great opportunity just to try this and see, okay, God, what would this look like? So then some of you are going, I thought we were talking about creating financial margin, and you're trying to figure out a way for me to decrease the margin. Did you catch that? Right? So I'm going to talk about some other things, but the reason that we feel like that's the first and most important is because I believe what my friend Mark found out about running is true in this area of your life. If it doesn't begin with you believing that God can provide for you, the rest of this stuff, you're probably going to get a little disoriented sometimes. 
The second point I wanted to, or, or wait, let me share this. You create margin by doing these five things, I believe biblically. You create margin by one, uh, giving the first 10% to God like we talked about. Two, eliminating debt. Some of you, if we're kind of the average Americans in here, are in major credit card debt right now. I might even encourage you, some of you to do that first. And in fact, in January, we're going to have another Financial Peace University seminar happening here at the building. And uh, our team, our financial team is going to lead that. I encourage you, fill out a Connect card today and turn it into Connect Center if you want to be a part of that. It's, it's, I think it's only about like 8 to 10 weeks now. It used to be 13 weeks It's a great experience, and we'll talk about eliminating debt in your life. Number three, that you uh, then put 10% into savings. That's a hard one for me sometimes because, you know, I want to go out to the next thing. So put that first, that 10% away. And then you live off of 80% is the concept, 10, 10, 80. Uh, And then the fifth thing, if you're like God opens up windows in other ways and you've created financial margin, now it's to talk about, well, how can I give generously beyond, uh, you know, our needs to make an even greater impact in the world? That's what it looks like because it's a hard issue. The problem is, number two, if you're taking notes, we, we need to avoid the enemy's temptations, I never caught this before. Look at that Matthew passage again in verses 22 to 23. It's this weird thing. You're like, what's it talking about? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That our eyes are the lamp. In other words, that when it comes to the, talking about money, both the verses before and after it, and storing up our treasures in heaven, not here on earth, the problem is our eyes see things that we think we just have to have. And we cannot be happy without it. I know it. We've been there. Some of us, we spend more time on Amazon.com or our favorite shopping app for clothing We spend time looking at cars online. You spend more time on Realtor.com or Redfin.com on the app on your phone than you spend with your children sometimes, right? Because our eyes are seeing these things, and we think, if I just got that, I would finally be happy. This is what I'm missing. That's going to make me happy. We do it on the big things like the house or the car or the boat, and we do it on the small things of like that next sandwich because I'm hungry right now and I didn't plan ahead. What would it look like to not allow the enemy to dictate the way that we live in this area and we allow God control to begin to be good stewards, as James said, of our resources? Not getting in debt in the first place. That's why Luke 12, 15 said, Jesus said to them, watch out. Like he's pretty serious here. It's emphatic in the Greek, meaning exclamation point. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man or a woman's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. We think the abundance of the possessions is what will make us happy. And Jesus tells us actually the opposite. Finally, number three, if you're taking notes, as you avoid the enemy's temptations, you have to choose Christ over comfort. Choose Christ over comfort. I think that first one was probably the hardest, but this third one's pretty hard. Because look at that last verse that we read. I love this verse. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or they'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Now, honest question, which one are you serving today? And not just, you know, in your head, which one are you serving? But what, what we believe about God determines how we live. So for me, it's an important thing to grasp here that when it says you either serve God or money, the word money in there, it's a unique word. The entire New Testament is written in Greek, but that word isn't written in Greek. It's a weird thing. Imagine writing in English whole chapters, whole uh, letters, and then you take one word and you don't write, you write it in a different language. There must have been something unique about that word, right? The, the word wasn't written in Greek. It was written in Aramaic, which was the common Jewish way of communication in the day of Jesus. Not ancient Hebrew, it was Aramaic. And Aramaic that they use is the word mammon. And money, in this passage, it literally is the Aramaic word mammon. Why did Luke choose to use that word? The Greek language had words for mammon, or excuse me, for, for money. He chose to use the Aramaic one. Money means, or mammon means money, but it also means comfort, which is different than Greek. And so that you could also say that you cannot serve both God and money, or you cannot serve both God and your personal comfort. Now, hear me. If you're sick and hurting and broken and you're in a time of need, you're, you're in the hospital, God is there. His spirit is there with you. He desires to be your comfort. He is a comforting God. But that's the whole point, isn't it? Is what is comforting you in your life? Are you seeking God's comfort and what he could bring? Are you seeking your own personal comfort and what you could purchase and create? And I've wrestled with that most of my life to begin to think about, okay, God, what does this truly look like? What you do with what you have reveals what you believe about God. And so if I am seeking comfort from these possessions, it says I don't really trust that he is going to provide for me, right? I mean, if we really boil it down. And what has hit me is, I think about those early disciples. They didn't just give over 10% and then go, I will give above and beyond that when I've created financial margin, right? Like if we're being honest, they, cr they created financial margin by just going and living so minimally because they wanted to reach more people for Christ. And anything they could do, they were leaving families. They were sacrificing everything. They had to decide, is it comfort or is it God's comfort? Is it my money or is it what God can provide me? And that tension, I believe, is right at the heart of the American problem in our churches that we so often choose comfort. It's why we've done church the way we've done it, to give away an inordinate amount. It requires us to live uncomfortable. And sometimes that means the processes are more difficult and it's more hard and there's more weight on volunteers and staff and all that. But what's it look like? The result of it is God has to show up more. And I think that's true in our churches, and I believe that is true in our personal finances. And as I close out this time, I just want to remind you the verse that we started with last weekend. You see that those verses 19 to 24, right after it, we talked about money. He says, but don't worry about it. I'm taking care of the birds and the grass and the flowers. Don't worry about it. I got it. What you need to focus on is the verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy, healthy, have everything you ever wanted in your life, but he will bless you and he will show up and he will provide. But who are you choosing to provide for you? That's the simple question I told you it's going to teach the Bible and ask us to respond. That's what I desired and believe God wanted us to hear this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord, um, 
I don't know what each individual person in this room is seeking today. But I believe that the only debt we should concern ourselves with is seeking your kingdom first because you paid the debt of our sin and our wrongdoing. You took our place, God. You, you overcame death itself. That anybody here today could actually prioritize this area of their life and be used fully by you. God, we want to believe in a big God that can change the course of human history in a lifetime. And I believe that this financial aspect will be a stepping stone for some of us spiritually to finally relinquish control and say, God, I'm fully yours. And so for some of you, you're not even ready to start the financial aspect because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. There's no better time than now to say that, God, I surrender my life to you. And so if that's you in the room, I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. Forgive me for doing life on my own. I believe and receive your forgiveness and grace. I repent of my way of doing things and I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. Use my time, my talents, and my treasures. God, we love you. We celebrate you. We thank you for such a time as this that the kingdom of God is still at hand and moving and working and we want to seek you first in every area of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.